Welcome to the Meaning and Motherhood podcast. I'm your host, Adrian Permar, and today we're going to review the book, It's Okay to Go Up the Slide by Heather Shoemaker. Our parenting deep dive for the day will be my reasons for homeschooling. We'll do an overview of some common homeschooling philosophies and give you some of my favorite homeschooling resources. All that and much more on the Meaning and Motherhood podcast. Our book this week is It's Okay to Go Up the Slide by Heather Shoemaker. This book is not your typical parenting book. It doesn't give a cohesive philosophy necessarily. It just touches on what she deems to be some of the most important topics in parenthood that she feels are neglected. So some of the topics include, for example, taking healthy risks like letting your kid go up the slide and judge for themselves where their physical capacity is and that, you know, just kind of hovering over them all the time leads to scared kids basically and excess anxiety in the child given over them by that excess hovering and sort of cautious of the of the mom so in that section she recommends for example not saying oh you're going to break your head because that just puts that idea into their head because they may be able to make that jump even though you feel scared for them so she really encourages you to kind of swallow your uh, fear and let your child judge for themselves what's um, reasonable risk for them and of course you can jump in when something is really excessive risk, but really letting them have that room to play and maybe take some risks and fall and break their arm. Because the idea is that a broken arm can heal, but if you grow up with anxiety and fear of doing things, that really never heals over your lifetime. Another interesting topic she talks about is the idea of not forcing touch even with family. And this really struck home with me because I didn't really think about it beforehand. So she's saying, you know, instead of saying, you have to kiss grandma, you know, grandma wants a kiss, grandma wants a hug, you got to kiss her, you got to hug her. And maybe your child doesn't really want that hug. Maybe grandma doesn't smell great uh, to your child, or maybe, you know, she just doesn't like sloppy kisses, or maybe she's just feeling nervous and anxious about meeting people that they might not be that that familiar with. Older bodies can be kind of scary to kids, so it kind of talks a little bit about that. But it also talks about the idea that even with family, we're letting the child be the boss of their own body and saying, you know, any touch that doesn't feel good is not good touch. So it doesn't matter if it's family. And so a lot of people will kind of push over their kid and let the family touch them, hug them, kiss them in ways that they don't necessarily feel comfortable with, but they feel pressured to do so. And the thing that's interesting about that is that most child abuse does occur with somebody you know and often within the family and so teaching that just because they're family they can get away with touching you in a way that doesn't feel good is a really bad message to send even if you think that that's not something that is effective in your family Um, you never really know on a side note I've been reading the book the body keeps the score and that book is all about traumatic memory and it's really interesting that more people than you think, at least one in five, maybe up to as many as one in three people experience some form of child abuse. And a lot of times it is with family or people that they're familiar with. So teaching them that they have to put aside what feels good to them is not really the best idea. You want them to trust their instincts that if it doesn't feel good for them, they don't need to be touched, hugged, kissed, etc. So just letting them set their own boundaries with their body and letting them be the boss of their body. I just thought that was really interesting because I hadn't thought that before. 
as a counter to that, you know, we hear a lot of times saying to kids that you shouldn't talk to strangers, but in fact, strangers often help kids when they're in trouble. So she suggests that go ahead and talk to strangers and just keep that sense of, do you feel comfortable? Do you feel safe with this person intact? So we're not forcing them to go against how they feel with strangers. If they feel uncomfortable, get away from that person. She said a really good idea is to tell your kid to find a mom. And how do you know it's a mom? Mom has kids, right? Or find a dad. Find somebody who has kids with them already if you get lost and they will help you find me again. So it's an idea of talking to strangers who are safe, that they feel safe with, and trying to encourage them to let them have their own experience in their body and decide what feels safe to them and what doesn't. There's that whole segment about risk and all those kind of things that we talked about. And then she's also got a whole section about how it's never okay to punish a kid by taking away their recess just because of how important it is for kids to play and run around. And then there's a big segment that really touched my heart about having no homework in elementary school, only a little bit of homework in maybe grade seven and eight just to teach them study skills and absolutely no more than two hours of homework in high school. And the reasons for that is that more homework, especially in elementary school, negatively affects the attitudes towards school, takes away from family time, and most importantly, maybe takes away from sleep. So little kids in elementary school are supposed to be getting maybe 11 hours of sleep a night. And so if they're staying up late to do homework, then they are maybe missing out on that really, really important sleep. Also, studies have shown that there's just no benefit to homework, no academic benefit. So kids are not doing better on tests by doing homework. Oftentimes homework that teachers think might be done in 10 minutes takes a lot longer for some kids. It also can create a lot of family squabbles and those kind of things and just conflict in general. Instead of allowing the child to just enjoy their time with their family, maybe getting read to and getting in their bath and then going to bed. So she actually advocates that if in your school they assign homework, that you can tell the, the teachers that you're just not going to do any homework. Tell them ahead of time that's your decision. As the parent, you're taking control of your home time. Figure out what the punishment may be for the child, making sure that they're not going to fail the grade or whatever, but really working with the teacher to show them the evidence and encourage that you are not going to do elementary school homework. So I think that's a really interesting uh, perspective and the way she lays it out makes a lot of sense to me. As a future homeschooling mom, it doesn't make that much of a difference to me for homework, but that is one of the reasons that I've chosen to homeschool. We're gonna get into a bunch more of the reasons a little bit later on in this show, but one of the reasons is just that I don't wanna be rushing around all the time. I don't want my kids' memories of me to be, you know, nagging them to get on the bus, um, picking them up, and then rushing to feed them and get them into bed, fighting with them about homework, all those things. I just don't want the school to take over our lives at home and my relationship with my child. So that's one of the reason that I'm choosing to homeschool. Another interesting point about the homework element is that it makes the child's job school. So the child's job is school and your job is to serve your child. So you become the servant who brings them food and brings them water and cleans up the dishes and does all these things while they get this feeling of entitlement, like school is their job, which again, I'm going to talk about a little bit later on because that's one of the reasons that I'm not keen on uh, public schools, but we'll get into that right now. So now it's time for our parenting deep dive for the day, which is homeschooling. I'm going to talk about my reasons and an overview of the approaches. We're going to talk a little bit about their research that shows that homeschooling has as good of outcomes as public schooling. 
uh, and just kind of do a little bit of homeschooling apologetics. Originally, I had wanted to do this podcast episode as a really research-heavy episode where I was going to talk a lot about, you know, the evidence behind homeschooling. And then when I sat down to write it, I just really wanted to talk about my reasons for homeschooling. So a lot of this episode is really for my own benefit. I wanted to affirm for myself my own reasons for choosing to homeschool our daughter in the future, as well as to offer some broad introduction to homeschooling for interested moms out there listening. I recently talked to a mom of adult children who said she had decided to homeschool because of her daughter's deadly peanut allergy, which made school attendance dangerous. Now, this was over 30 years ago. Obviously, that wouldn't be such a problem now because there's such an awareness about peanut allergies. But my point is that people choose to homeschool for all kinds of reasons. I see moms on my homeschooling Facebook group who decide to pull their kids out of school because of a negative experience, maybe with bullying or because their children are not responding well to school-based learning environments, or maybe because the teachers insist that their sons need to be on medication. So there's all kinds of reasons why people choose to homeschool. There are also plenty of moms out there like me who have always planned to homeschool even before my daughter was born. That's how we planned it. So my daughter is now four months old and I have been planning her home-based education since before her conception. I'm just really interested in education and we'll talk about that even a little bit more today. It's hard for me to articulate sometimes when people ask me why exactly I want to homeschool and yet it's a conviction I've held since before I met my husband and one that he deeply shares. I generally had a good time in school. I was smart and able to memorize information easily. I got into an Ivy League university where I graduated near the top of my class. So you'd think that I would love school. Yet I felt like there was something missing and terribly wrong with my education. In part, I had the conviction that schoolwork was superfluous. Nothing of real value occurred in the classroom. I crammed for tests, passed, and forgot everything. All my hard work was really done to please my teachers, and that's kind of why I liked it. I'm a people pleaser by nature. A lot of us moms are, and I think that my thrust in really achieving was all just to get the grades, and we know that that's not a really good way to learn. It's maybe a good way to encourage people to do some work, but not necessarily have true learning about a topic. Of course, I became super disillusioned with this when I finally did get into the Ivy League school and I got the grades that I wanted and nothing happened. I expected like the angels to come down and sing and, you know, everybody to celebrate me. But basically life went on as before. I have heard Dennis Prager talk about this as well, that you can't live your life for grades because at some point there won't be any grades. And then what are you going to live your life for? So I had this kind of like crisis of faith because I had based my whole life on getting good grades. And then once school was over, it was like, and now what? In any case, I went to university because I felt I had to. I felt pressured to pick a career, though I had no idea what I actually wanted to do. Well, that's not exactly true. I had two careers that I felt strongly about, teaching and hairdressing, but neither were deemed acceptable for a student of my caliber. My career counselor, actually, it's funny because I actually just happened to pull my high school transcript out of storage because my parents moved. And the funny thing was the only C I ever got was in career and personal planning, which I thought was pretty funny. I mean, it turned out to be kind of, yes, my career personal planning turned out to be a bit of a mess, but it was hilarious to me that that was the only C I ever got in my school career. Well, anyway, I wasted untold amounts on a university degree in hotel administration and then went ahead and pursued those unacceptable uh, jobs anyway. So I ended up, just so you know, becoming a massage therapist and also 
subsequently teaching massage therapy. So teaching and hairdressing weren't far off. So that was one problem with my education. It had so little to do with the real world that I had no idea what I could really do in real life. I didn't really have any idea how, what it meant to have a career and what it meant to build a life based around your work. So you could claim that this is more of a problem of counseling, so my career counselor, than with education, but I maintain that homeschooling leaves more opportunity for contact with the real world and a greater understanding of what it means to work and build a career. The fact that I became a massage therapist and teaching massage therapy leads me to believe that the pressure I was put under to drop my initial inclinations didn't work. So my feeling is that if you're pressuring your kid to do something other than what they wanted to do, they're basically going to take just like a big detour into getting to where they wanted to be in the first place. As an aside, I'm a really big fan of trades such as massage therapist or electrician, any of those things. Those positions are really needed in society and they're a great fit for many people. They also pay really well and offer very much autonomy. It's unfortunate there's such a stigma against trade workers among the college educated. Jordan Peterson once discussed these opportunities, adding that if you're the smartest plumber, you can start your own plumbing business and make a significant income, as well as obtain prestige within your community. Dennis Prager has some excellent videos supporting this view at PragerU, including a video called Is College Worth It? and College Pedigree is Overrated. If you're interested, definitely check those out. I'd much rather my daughter become a tradesperson than have a massive student debt for a degree that has very little value in the labor market or is in something that she's just not interested in. Not that I'm against education. In fact, if I had infinite money and infinite time, I would love to get a bunch of higher degrees. I would love to study a bunch of things. Um, I have many, many career aspirations that will probably never come true. And the reason for that is just it's a matter of cost and benefit. Is it going to be worth it for me to get a master's or a PhD when necessarily I'm not going to be working in those areas? In addition, there's such great resources online and at home that I can study the material that I want to study without it being a burden financially. So my conclusion basically is if your child doesn't know what they want to do, I think college is a very expensive place to find out. Also on the note of poor career counseling I received, I think it's important to really dig deeper into any interest that your child shows. I'm a big fan of the education writer Roger Shank. If you're interested, he has an awesome audiobook called Teaching Minds, How Cognitive Science Can Save Our Schools. I listened to this book at least three times. Shank's major thesis is that without intrinsic motivation, no learning occurs. Who knows why a person has an interest that he has, but if he doesn't have it, there's little point in trying to force his learning. He suggests learning through problem solving in real world scenarios. So instead of regular lecture based, sort of like note card learning, He's suggesting posing real world problems to your students and kind of trying to get them involved by trying to solve an actual problem. Of course, the more real the problem, the more engaged your students are probably going to be. I'll just throw this in here as well for those of you who have older students. He also offers a program called Gap Year Academy at rogershank.com. That website offers problem-based online deep dives into several areas of study, including software development, health sciences, data analytics, writing, and more. These courses run for uh, from about these courses run from about one to four thousand dollars and take about thirteen weeks to complete. That's not free, but it's certainly less than the cost of a college degree. And some of these courses are actually preparing the student for immediate employment. 
In his parenting book, Coloring Outside the Lines, Shanks tells the story of how his son was fascinated by subways. He actually allowed his son to go to Europe by himself as a teen to explore Paris's subway system. Talk about letting him take calculated risks. Of course, this is a mature teen son. When his son asked him, what should I study in university? He replied, subways. The son figured out that he needed to study urban planning and guess what has actually been involved in developing subway systems in the real world. How cool is that? For my own case, I was interested in teaching, but it was deemed that teaching, and my parents' view meant teaching in public schools, was not good enough for me. Granted, my parents were having a really hard time with my brother's high school teachers, so perhaps at that time their view was really skewed. But with a little more digging, we could have revealed why I wanted to be a teacher. Like, for example, I liked a social class, or I liked to be involved in presenting ideas. Also, there are some prestigious careers that could have involved teaching. For example, maybe I could have worked towards becoming a professor or a professor of education or an education researcher with a PhD. So those would have been things that my parents would have valued more highly in terms of glamour, but that still were related to my interests. So instead of just saying, no, you can't be a teacher, they could have given me some other options. Also, some things that have kind of come to fruition is that I could open my own private massage school, which is something I'm working on at the moment or maybe run my own private day school or homeschool research center. So there are things that I could have done related to teaching that maybe weren't just stuck in the public school box if they felt that, you know, I wouldn't have worked well in a union environment. Another area where I excelled and had a strong passion was writing, but I refused to do my bachelor's in English or writing because I was practical and wanted a guaranteed job. So I didn't want to be one of those people with a BA in English who ends up as a Starbucks barista. In hindsight, I think I would have really enjoyed being a book editor, but that was not an option that even existed in my mind until I watched the Sandra Bullock flick, The Proposal, which is still one of my favorite go-to chick flicks. So that was something that if I had had a little more coaxing and not just been shut down at, I could have figured out something that was maybe a little bit more stable within the field that I was really interested in. Take my interest in being a hairstylist. This was primarily because I loved the idea of being the center of a community of people who relied on me and in a workplace where everyone seemed happy all the time. That was my experience of hair salons at the time. I'm not sure if that's how things really are because mostly now I cut my own hair. In any case, would it have been out of the question to encourage me to work towards opening my own hair salon and being the owner? I did in fact open a massage therapy clinic, which is kind of similar, and that has worked out pretty well for me. All of this I did without the benefit of a college degree in the fields that I'm actually practicing in, just by doing self-learning online and on-the-job learning. Okay, so clearly I had a lot to say about career planning and had a little rant there, but my point is that it's a mistake to think that academic, subject-based learning is going to lead to real-life success, especially as discussed above when school becomes the child's job at the expense of inclusion in daily activities of life. In addition, the way schools and parents pressure students to pick colleges and careers without any exposure to reality is frankly scandalous. I think that homeschooling leaves a lot more opportunity for connecting learning to real life. The other problem I had with my education was that it was free from teaching true principles for healthy living. I often hear this in the zeitgeist, that schools don't teach you how to balance your checkbook or change a tire. They don't really teach you things that you need to know to live a full, productive life. 
While that is certainly the case, I would also add that an environment and education in early life that promotes emotional stability is equally important. This is why, although I find the concept of unschooling intriguing, my husband and I have eschewed that method. We definitely want to follow the child's interests some of the time, but we also want to make sure our children have a deep understanding of how to live. We want our children to have a strong understanding of history, the human condition, and principles that lead to stable, successful living. Much focus in popular parenting practices is placed on how to increase our child's IQ. This might have a lot to do with nutrition in early life and in pregnancy, and maybe even doing flashcards with babies, which is a little beyond what we should do in my opinion. Working to improve the child's IQ is certainly important. Jordan Peterson says that the number one predictor of success in life is your IQ, but the number two predictor is emotional stability. I can certainly speak to this. With all the potential that I've told you about and that I displayed in high school, I ultimately did not succeed in high-paying, high-pressure jobs because I was emotionally fragile. I didn't have the perspective to persevere and the self-control to remain calm and balanced under pressure. My college years and short-lived management career was marked by depression, outbursts of anger, self-centeredness, and frustration. I really didn't know how to function in that kind of pressured environment. I had been so used to school where I knew all the rules that I didn't really know how to translate that into a job, especially a very stressful job. I continued to back out of high-pressured situations, and eventually that's what led me to massage therapy which admittedly is a better fit for me emotionally. Because I had had no training in moral life or how to live, I just couldn't handle the pressure. And my parents' suggestion to basically just keep calm and carry on were not enough to quell my anxieties. I needed a seriously stable life at home, practice with controlling my emotions, and advice in line with reality. I've since studied numerous books and methods for stable living, including The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People by Stephen Covey, numerous audio recordings by Zig Ziglar, and about every book ever written by John Gray. I've also participated in 12-step groups, which are an excellent self-help resource, and I've done plenty of talk therapy. All these resources came to me after times of great emotional pain and plenty of regretful actions on my part. I was raised in a secular environment, free from any real sense of morality. I spent much of my early adulthood feeling lost and hopeless about my place in the world. I feel all of this could have been avoided if I had a moral education during my childhood and in my teen years. I know many homeschooling parents choose this path because of the desire to raise children in a Christian environment, which is anathema in public schools. While I consider myself a Christian, I have a complicated relationship with religion because of my upbringing. Whether or not my children accept Jesus Christ as their savior, I feel it's important for my children to have the tools to deal with their inner demons and their damaged nature. I believe there is right and wrong, regardless of who one believes is the source of this objective morality. Authors such as Stephen Covey do a great job of distilling right principles from religion. He makes his teachings universal across all faiths. I just don't agree with the moral relativism that's taught in schools today, and that's one of the major reasons I'm choosing to homeschool. Okay, we're through my personal rant for a little bit, and I'm going to give you some of my homeschooling resources. I've considered many types of homeschooling in my research journey. My initial reading about homeschooling included many works by John Holt, who's basically the father of the unschooling movement. If you're feeling unsure about your own ability to homeschool, his book, Teach Your Own, is an excellent resource for people from all walks of life. 
An interest in homesteading led me to read Joel Salatin's Family Friendly Farms, in which he recommended the classical books on homeschooling by Dr. Raymond and Dorothy Moore. The Moores recommend having a home-based business in which the children can participate. As you can guess by my focus on integrating homeschooling into practical life, I just loved that. Most recently, I've fallen in love with the homeschooling philosophy of Charlotte Mason, who emphasized reading directly from whole books rather than from textbooks. She also encourages short lessons and lots of time spent observing nature. There's also some excellent arguments for things like game schooling, which is teaching through board games, and plenty of online resources such as PragerU and many channels on YouTube. I think my husband and I will employ a mix of methods to teach our children, but we will likely avoid long lectures, endless worksheets, and heavy reliance on textbook-based curriculum. Our emphasis will be on practical life and understanding history through stories and living literature. One of the fun things I've been doing over the last few years is just collecting ideas for things that I absolutely want my children to learn. So rather than going through what is the public school curriculum, I've started to compile books that I think are really essential that help my child to learn how to live. These are excellent books by C.S. Lewis that I'll talk about in the Stuff I Like section, as well as great pieces of literature or maybe even Shakespeare plays that I've always wanted to read but didn't get to read. I'm so excited to homeschool my own children for the further selfish reason that I will get to learn or relearn so many important topics that I missed or forgot from my own education. With that said, I'll give you some quick stats on homeschooling outcomes and move on. I'm sure there will be much more to say about my passion for homeschooling in future episodes. So I just wanted to give you some evidence that homeschoolers do just as well, if not better, than public schoolers. So for example, in 2014, test scores of college-bound homeschool students were higher on average than the national average of college-bound seniors that same year. This is from the National Home Education Research Institute. So basically it means that homeschoolers who were going to college did better than non-homeschoolers who were going to college in 2014. That's really exciting. So that's just SAT scores. Here's another one. Families engaged in home-based education are not dependent on public tax-funded resources for their children's education. The finances associated with homeschooling likely represent over $27 billion that the American taxpayers do not have to spend annually. So that's really cool. So if people are ever pressuring you about homeschooling, you can just say, look, I'm still paying taxes, but I'm not putting any burden on the school system. So it's actually benefiting all the people going to public school as well because they're not having as many students in their classes, even though they're still getting the same amount of money. More on that note, taxpayers spend an average of $11,700 per pupil annually in public schools, plus capital expenditures. Taxpayers spend nothing on most homeschool students, and homeschool families on average spend about $600 per year for their education. That's basically just saying that homeschooling is a lot less expensive for the society than public schooling. Basically just showing that we're much more efficient about teaching our own students than having other public school teachers teach our students. There's great evidence not just about SAT scores, but other test scores as well. Generally speaking, homeschool students do as well, if not better, than their peers. Okay, that's my rant for homeschooling for the day. Now I'm going to give you our living idea for the day. This is a quote from C.S. Lewis from the Collected Works of C.S. Lewis. 
The great thing, if one can, is to stop regarding all the unpleasant things as interruptions of one's own or real life. The truth is, of course, that what one calls the interruptions are precisely one's real life, the life God is sending one day by day. This quote came to my attention through the book that I'm going to talk about next in our Stuff I Like, which is Teaching from Rest by Sarah McKenzie. She has this great idea that, you know, if your dog eats your dessert and drags it under the couch and you have this big mess to clean up and you have to make a new dessert, that's what God wants you to do at that moment rather than whatever it was that you thought you were supposed to be doing. Okay, my one mother craft for the day, because I'm definitely running out of time, is to try and stop saying, okay at the end of every sentence. So when I'm talking to my daughter, it's basically saying, I'm gonna change your diaper now, okay? But the thing is that she doesn't have an option. Obviously she's too young to understand that for now, but it's a bad habit to get into. Uh, there's a great book called How to Talk So Little Kids Will Listen, and that is one of the things I talk about is try not to make things a question that's not a question. So I'm trying to practice that now, even so when she understands, it won't become a problem. And that brings us to our very final segment, Stuff I Like. As I already mentioned, the stuff I like for this week is the book Teaching from Rest by Sarah McKenzie. It's available on audiobook, and she does a great job recording it. Also, some really great books from C.S. Lewis, also excellent on audio tape, are The Great Divorce, which I found to be one of the best Christian apologetics that just explained what heaven and hell were in a non-punitive way. The other one is The Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis. These are both really small books. So you can get through them really quickly. The Screw Tape Letters is the best thing I've heard of to describe the devil, again, in not a very punitive way. So it just describes it in a way that's a little more approachable than some of the harsh ways that you hear about them, sometimes during sermons and things like that. Okay, that's definitely all the time we have for today. Please go ahead and subscribe to this channel. If you liked this podcast, please send us a five-star rating and review. We'd love to hear that review as well, so what your actual thoughts about the podcast are. Also, go ahead and send in your questions on my Instagram to Meaning and Motherhood. Thanks so much for being here. I will see you next week on the Meaning and Motherhood podcast.